All right, bringing us in a little Alegrias, the uh, happy dance from the flamenco genre. And we are happy today because Jim is with us again. How's it going, Jim? It's going great. Happy New Year to you, the first Spirits of New Mexico show of 2022. Exactly. It was supposed to be last week, but, uh, well, some things uh, got in the way of that. And so, in, in fact, I was bummed out all week. It says, I didn't do a show that week. That's all so right. So hopefully, gonna... hopefully some of you out there felt the same way. Right. Yeah, uh, I, I know <laughs> I did. We're going to make up for it today, though. Absolutely. Because we have a, a fabulous wine to uh, talk about today. In fact, we have a fabulous grape to talk about today. And we mentioned it last, oh, it was actually December of 2020, um, so a, a year most people have forgotten anyway. So, uh, but uh, this is a uh, show is we're talking about the wines of Piemonte, Italy, um, and uh, the Piedmont area, or Piemonte, depending on where you use the Italian or, or English uh, spelling of it, is a phenomenal area in the northwest corner of Italy, right at the top of the Italian boot. It Up is, in the Alps, I guess, huh? Yeah, it, it's, it's right in, in the foothill areas there, so there is some higher elevation areas. Uh, in that particular area. So you have, uh, there's one little place, Val d'Asta, which is a small little uh, DOC region uh, just right above it. That's a buffer with part of uh, Switzerland, but part of it extends in the border with Switzerland. That's the Piedmonte area. And then also a large part of its border uh, is, is uh, France. And then, of course, below it is the Mediterranean. So again, there is some maritime influences that affect some of the areas here. And uh, so the, the grape we're talking about is the Nebbiola grape. N-E-B-B-I-O-L-O. I'm sorry, one more time with that? Nebbiola, N-E-B-B-I-O-L-O. Great, okay. So it's um, so that's new to me. I've never even heard of this one. You aren't alone. Uh, and that's one of the reasons we want to talk about it, and the grape in particular, as well as the region it comes from. Uh, so... Uh, if you haven't heard of this grape, that's probably not too surprising. There was about 14,000 acres worldwide of this grape, of which 92%, over 92%, are in Piedmonte, Italy. In fact, even in Italy, it's uh, the only other place they have some is Lombardia, and uh, probably a little trickle of it up in the Valdosta. But it's mostly in that whole situation, that whole area up there in the northern part of Italy, uh, northwest and north-central where you're going to uh, see the fullest expression of this wonderful grape. All right, break out your maps, everybody. Absolutely. A little geography lesson, too. And yeah, I've been doing a lot of geography lessons with people. Great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they don't seem to teach that in school anymore, which is really sad because you just you get a better sense of a place, I think, particularly when it comes to wine. Where did it come from? Uh -huh. What was it like there? What was the terrain like there? I mean, what kind of expression did it have? Uh, what kind of altitude, what kind of slopes, what kind of soil. All those factors are, are going to go into basically influencing the type of grape you're going to get. For sure. And, and, of course, not all grapes are expressive of where they are grown, but Nebbiola, very much like, like uh, Pinot Noir, which is sometimes compared, very similar to that. They are both very finicky grapes to, to, to grow. You really have to have passion for this, this grape uh, because you have to go through a little bit more uh, to actually make it come out into a great wine. And you this, know, to be honest with you, the smell of it reminds me a little bit of port also, just the smell alone, not the taste, of course. Oh, yeah. The smell, I don't know, maybe it's, I don't, 
I don't know what. How could that be? Is that is that a is that a a viable comparison? It might be depending on what port you were smelling. Okay, um, but normally a port is uh, because it's a higher alcohol is going to have a bit more of a spike uh, when you when you sniff it, uh-huh. uh, and that's going to impact all everything of the olfactory. So it's possible. Okay. But uh, we want to get you used to knowing what a Nebbiola scent is like. Great. Oh, yeah. That's so this particular one uh, that we'll be talking about is the Lanky Nebbiola. Uh, Lanky, as we'll talk about, is one of the uh, subregions in Piedmonte where this particular grape is grown. This particular one is from the Abana family, A-B-B-O-N-A. They must have liked double Bs there. And... Um, it's uh, the the location is Barolo, but of course this is a, a, a larger area that extends over the whole area where Barolo and Barbaresco are, which I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But this one is 13% alcohol. It's 2019. Um, when I got it from Total Wine, um, the current year they had specified was 2016, and. Um, I pulled it out of the bin. I should have checked the vintage year. Uh, there might have still been a couple of 16s in there, but this is a 2019. The 16 was 14% alcohol, rated at 93 points. This one is 13% alcohol and probably isn't rated that high just yet. But that was my bad. I should have checked the vintage. Every time you look in a bin anywhere, if you looked at one, you saw this particular vintage year, you say, this looks like a great wine. I'm going to go pick one. Check to see if it's the same vintage year in the bin. Because a lot okay. of times it's a mix and match thing. Uh, so I've encountered that many times. You might also if you pulled the wine out from a few bins. So it's always important to do that. Nonetheless, it's a really good wine, and I'm enjoying it. So uh, there's there's that. It is. It's working for me. And it, it's a very nice expression of, of this particular area. So Italy, as 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 we know, as far as grapes can be very challenging to, uh, if you want to learn all the grapes in Italy, make that your life's work. Really? It's gonna, oh, yeah. There is over 500 native grapes that they have there. And, of course, the same grape will be called something different if it's in a different region. I see. Uh, so, for instance, the Nebbiola, where it's called that in Barolo Barbaresco, is called Spana up further north in the Gattanera area. So it just so you'll see the same grape, but they'll give it a different name because it has a different characteristic. Okay, that's even true of places like uh, if you look at the Brunellos. Um, there's a Brunello Rosso. There's a Brunello di, di Montalcino, and that one is the the one that is a is from the Sangiovese special clone. is is a lot more expensive than the less expensive one. That's also Sangiovese, but it's a different soil in the same basic town. So they're very fussy about that, and they should be, because there are different qualities, different characteristics, and you need to know that. So, so even, even uh, the flavor will come out different, even the different soil and the different amounts of sunshine and all the whole climate and geography, like we are saying. Will, oh, absolutely. Will make the grape yeah. taste different. Yeah, the Torah is what shapes the, the uh, grape. That and the viticultural work that goes on there. The, the, the ones who are growing the grapes um, have to have a good knowledge of the grape and what it needs, what it doesn't need. Uh, everything from the, the type of uh, trellising system or the, or the way you basically uh, create the, the vineyard uh, to all the different techniques you're going to use around it. So as, as one of our favorite local wineries, Malagua says, um, great wine comes from the vineyard. And that's true. 
if you don't start with great grapes, uh, you're going to be really challenged to try to make a great wine. Right. Uh, in fact, you won't. So that that's a characteristic, and that's why any of these areas I tell you about is also going to have a different influence on the grape and the price, obviously. Mm-hmm. So now, Jim, have you ever worked on a at a vineyard? Uh, on, only in the harvesting stage, oh, okay. where, where we've actually t- taken the, and of course I've seen all the processes from you know, the uh, getting it d- stemmed, the selection of the of the grapes themselves, um, through the processing of the maceration of the grape, and of course I've I've done my share of barrel tasting, going in the barrel room and tasting the wines there. All right. So you can see how they're evolving over time. So I say it's very cool and. Uh, if I was younger, I probably would would actually have done a stint uh, where I'm working a, a couple of months in the vineyards to get even better appreciation. Uh-huh. Certain anyone that's going to be a winemaker starts out that way typically. Uh, so there's 15 major wine regions in Italy, uh, and uh, that includes the islands of Sicily and Sardinia. In fact, uh, we covered grapes from both of those areas in past shows as well. We want to cover everything, even the islands, which are actually pretty big islands for that matter. Yeah, they are. And uh, about 1,700,000 acres of vines in Italy. Um, I think it's number three. Uh, Spain is number one. France is number two. And then Italy, I believe, is number three as far as the amount of vineyards they, they have. That's pretty considerable oh, yes, for a very country the size of Italy, right? I, I mean, I think I would guess that Italy's maybe... Maybe half or a little less than half the size of New Mexico. What do you think? Um, I haven't cha- checked the area combination, so I couldn't tell you. It's um, it's a little bigger than you might think, um, and um, and it's also a a fascinating area because of the the different terroirs you have there, um, and the and the, obviously the influence of the seas that surround it uh-huh. are, are all big factors that makes it very different than here. Of course, here we have a lot less vineyards under vine. Uh, so anyway, the um, about 55% of the grapes from there uh, come from Puglia, uh, which is down at the boot, the heel actually, uh, Veneto, and, uh, which is way up in the, in the north uh, eastern part. Uh, where Prosecco comes from, which is a big, very popular grape, and the Tuscany, obviously, area. Uh, Tuscany is where I spent most of my time when I was in Italy. I wish I'd actually spent some time up in Piedmonte, but uh, when we flew into Milano the first time, we headed south to Tuscany because that's where we were staying at a pension there. Uh, but at that time, I didn't have that a grasp of Italian wines like I do now. Uh-huh. Otherwise, I'd have said, yeah, before we head down there, let's just take a little side trip and go up to Barolo. I'd like to see what we can do up there. But anyway, that didn't happen. Next time you go, you can make it up there. Oh, I would definitely would. No right. question about that. Uh, so uh, the Piemonte area covers about 8 to 9% of the total. So it's it's not insignificant. It is an area that, that you can find a lot of wines from. As I said, 14,000 acres, of which about something over 11,000, 12,000 Thirteen. I forgot the exact number. Anyway, uh, most of it is right there in Piedmont. So it's not exactly a rare grape, but it's a um, it is a, a certainly lesser known grape, and it's not one you're going to encounter a lot of different places. Although you will encounter it in New Mexico, which right. I'm very pleased about. Great. 
and I've tried a couple of those, and they're they're very good. Wait, so uh, so there's some uh, vineyards that will act, that actually grow that here in New Mexico, right? Yeah, well, the the one that does uh, most of it started with uh, Palo Dandria. Uh, he's uh, his winery is Luna Rosa. Um, and he's, he's, uh, he also was the one that managed the largest vineyards in New Mexico, uh, which is the New Mexico Vineyards, Inc., and uh, over 300 acres. That's uh, since been split into two different areas, one more privately owned. But a lot of the grapes from that area have been sourced by people in Texas as well as New Mexico and also Arizona. And, uh, in fact, I finally got a chance to, to meet uh, Paolo, quite a fascinating guy. So he comes from uh Reseda, uh, which is in, the, which is not too far from the Veneto area we've been talking about, and uh, in fact has the largest vineyard nursery in the world there. So guess what? Paolo's done. He has imported a lot of the wonderful Italian grapes we're talking about: the Dolcettos, the Nebbiolas, uh, the Sangioveses. Uh, so wait, he's, so what? The one of the biggest vineyards in the world is in New Mexico? No, no, no. Oh. In the, the biggest vineyard in New Mexico. Oh, okay, I see. It's small by other standards, but it's for us it's big. Okay, that's that's what we do. So, um, anyway, the quality de- designations uh, for most old world wines, um, you don't necessarily have a point score on something. Uh, some of them will 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 get that, but vast majority don't, so you really look at the quality levels of the of the the wines and in italy the first classification you're looking for is the igp or igt you'll see either or both on a on a wine label on the back these are our table wines but there's it's a broad regional classification uh in tuscany for instance a lot of these wines are called super tuscans and they actually uh outsell most of the other wines there uh, so it basically meant this is a and it says here's the geographic area where it comes from but it doesn't follow the other rules, which are the DOC and DOCG rules, which specify you can only use these grapes in this concentration um, and in these percentages with this alcohol and everything else. So that there's a lot of regulation done to determine the actual um, quality of, of wines. I see. So I didn't, I didn't realize there was rules to winemaking. Oh, there is lots of rules uh, in, in Europe. There is that. That was the standard. Uh, uh-huh. France was the first one that really uh, put that in place. And again, part of it was if they're going to import wines, they want to make sure they're importing quality stuff that is going to uh, that is going to look like well, what a great French wine that was, uh-huh. right? So those rules and and that goes into a lot of things like the the. Reserves is another term that we use. A reserve of wine in Europe usually has a specific meaning. It means it's either was a more selected area where the grapes came from and also the aging requirements. So a reserve of wine there um, definitely means a better quality wine, whereas here people use the reserve just say, well, we think it's reserve. Uh, but there's there's no reg- rules about it. So you have to be so that's very, that's a very different thing, old world, new world I that see. we should know about. Most of what you're going to see is the DOC, and that's what this label has uh, right on the on the neck of it. You'll see DOC or DOCG prominently uh, declared. Uh, the the Langa area is principally a DOC region, whereas the Barolo and Barbaresco we'll talk about are DOCG. So there's uh, 329 DOC rated wines uh, in Italy. DOCG, though, there's a lot less, but there's more of these of this higher quality 
wine that comes from Piedmont than any other region, including Tuscany, which tells you something. So it's it's a really good good area for these great wines. So Barolo, Barbaresco, Rero, Gemi, and Gatanera are all DOCG, whereas the Langa region is DOC. Doesn't mean you're still not going to get a great wine. I've had some DOC wines that I thought were definitely better than the DOCG. So, but at least as a starting point, it's a good measure to to, to look at. So that's that's how you identify these. All right. And of course, um, we, we talk about patriotism. We do, um, and on some of the things. But we had a lot of winemaker patriots in in the Piedmonte area. So during what's called the Risorgimento, uh, which is the Italian unification period in the 19th century, a lot of the Piedmontese winemakers, uh, landowners, were played a pivotal role. One of them is you might have heard of is Giuseppe Garibaldi, also a winemaker. Yeah, I've heard that name. He was. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Actually, all I know of him is uh, his Italian patriotism. That's the only thing I really know right. about him. Yeah, but he was also a winemaker. Uh, Camillo Benso, who is the Conte di Cavour, what a great title to have, the Conte di Cavour, uh, was a wealthy vineyard owner who went abroad to study uh, viticulture uh, in France and other places. And, and he actually was very influential in establishing some of the standards for making quality wines there, but he also founded a political newspaper called Il Risorgimento. Uh, and uh, so uh, part of the reason for why this was going on, uh, one of the early sparks of the Italian revolts was against Austria. Austria um, basically owned the northeastern part of what we know as Italy now. So um, they, and, and this was part of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, Right. That you probably heard about. And, of course, it was influential in, a, in, a, influential in a lot of the winemaking that went on there, too, as you can imagine. But what happened is, is the Austrian government put double tariffs on the Piedmontese wines uh, in the Austrian-controlled lands of Lombardy, Emilia, and Veneto. Those are all of the key areas that, of course, are now part of Italy and uh, had a crippling effect on the on the. Piedmontese wine industry. Well, think about it. Back then, we didn't have a big import-export uh, environment going on for wine. So you sold the wine locally or, you know, in, in this case, within Italy or that con- that confined area, or you were going to be in big trouble. So th- this was a, a serious hardship for them, and it was part of the sparks that basically led to the revolt. Uh, so a- anyway, it, uh, it, it was finally consolidated from 1846 to... Uh, 1848, in that two-year span, they they went from from being a separate entity to being part of Italy, and so that's that that was a big influence on the wine industry as well as everything else. So one of the reasons why I, I mentioned that. Okay, so different types of grapes that you can grow in Piedmonte, uh, and is the first one, of course, is Nebbiola. It was identified as the king of grapes and the grape of kings which is not a bad title to have. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, medium body, but with, a, as I said, a kicker of a tannic backbone. Uh, they t- Most of the wines historically were uh, not drunk before five years, uh, more up to about 10 years, but they could age for up to 40 years. 40 so, years? Yeah, great aging capability. So the, the next one is the Barbera, uh, which a lot of people have heard of. Uh, it actually is a fairly popular grape in 
in California as, as well. So many people may have encountered it there first. Uh, it's a great food-pairing wine, has nice sour cherry, licorice, uh, dried herbs elements. The Barbera de Asti, for instance, is a Barbera that comes from Asti, Pimento, P Pimento, yeah, Piedmonte. And uh, Dolcetto is the other one. Uh, it's a plum, blackberry, black pepper, lower acidity. Uh, typically drunk young because they don't uh, age that long, but it's also a really good New Mexico variety. This is, again, one that uh, Paolo brought in, and there are a lot of uh, Dolcetto wines being made by our, our, our various local winemakers. And they're all different because it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's different winemakers, but the basic uh, characters of the, of the grape are very good. So that's a, that's a very popular one. If you like Italian grapes, you should check out a lot of our local producers for that one. All right. And then with the whites, the Moscato Bianco, um, with, again, the Muscat grape, which is the nearest we can tell, is the, is the original grape that was out there, gone through every kind of mutation, of course. And uh, there's a lot of the still wines from this one, that uh, from Strevi, that are supposed to be really good. Haven't had a chance to try one of those yet. And then the last one is Gavi de Gavi, and I'm still looking for one of these. Uh, again, this is the Gavi wine from Gavi, of course. That's why they call it that. Uh, it's basically from the Corteza grape. Uh, very acidic, but if you got the southern area down by, by the coast, um, the area around Liguria, you end up with really nice, uh, wonderful minerality, bracing acidity wines that are very similar to Sancerre and Chablis, but a lot cheaper. Right. Uh, that's always a good thing. So again, if, if we look at the, the basic areas in the southern part, uh, and th this is going to be around the towns of Barolo, uh, Asti, and Alta. Those are some of the principal towns ar around there. Uh, you, you're going to have the, the, the first area you, that you look at is the Barolo. That's right in the heart of the lower part. And then right above that is, is the Barbaresco area. Uh, on top of that, again, we're looking at the northern part of it, is the is Orero, uh, and that's uh, a, a bigger area. Then there's a small area called Nebbiolo d'Alta, okay? The, the Nebbiolo d'Alta, it means it's Nebbiolos that comes from the town of Alta, okay? They also have a Barbera d'Alta. So this is one thing to keep track of. Another thing I should probably mention, Barbaresco, Okay. And Nebbiolo is the grape there, not Barbera, okay. uh, which would which a lot of people would assume. Well, you know, that's that's where the name came from. No, that's mostly Nebbiolo that, that grows there. It probably is some Barbera, but predominantly, when we talk about a Barbaresco wine, we're talking about a Nebbiolo wine that's very similar to Barolo, but a, a little bit lighter, as as we'll describe in a bit of detail. And then right below that, of course, is a Lang area. This is a much bigger area. In, in the southern part, and uh, the, the trick, area, trick area here is that unlike those much smaller areas, there's different areas in the Langa region that will yield different results in the type of wines you can make, partly because it's one of the uh, reasons why the Nebula wine is called what it is. So it basically comes from the, the name, uh, from the Italian word nebbia, which means fog. And... Uh, so there's two reasons why they su suggest this name. One is that uh, when it's when it's uh, harvesting, it is a lot of white uh, little uh, threads on the outside of it. Almost looks like it was on, in fog. And the other reason is that it doesn't grow very well in the fog areas because the fog means less, less sunshine. Oh. This is a very long ripening grape. 
So if you're going to have a good wine here in the Langley area, make sure it's on a hilltop somewhere, supposedly on, on really good slopes. Uh, it, the, the grape also likes good drainage. So, you know, if, if you're trying to t- take this grape and you say, well, I got some land here, I'm going to just plant it because it's, it's in the Langley area. I'm way down in the valley and I, I have really bad drainage and very little sunshine. Good luck trying to have any kind of a good wine out of that. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, this is why we say, this is cr- true of any uh, grape, though, is where you cite it is, is what it's going to reveal to you. It could be good. It could be bad. Uh, because every grape is going to be different. They all have different requirements. You have to know what those requirements are and, uh, and uh, basically adhere to them when you are creating your vineyards and making your wines. So... There's also a nice graphic in uh, Wine Folly that, that I've used that talks about, broadly classifies the standard wines, Barolos, Barbaresco, Gattinera, and Vatalina. The Vatalina happens to come from the Lombardy region, uh, which is the neighbor to the east of, of the Piemonte area. And they, because it's a higher elevation, they're more Pinot Noir-like, lighter, more elegant style. Uh, as opposed to the more muscular Barolos and Barbarescos. So depending on where you're getting it from, that's going to identify part of the the area. Now, that other area I was mentioning is up a lot further north, and the two principal towns there uh, are Gatanera and Gemma. Those are both DOCG. Around that, there's a number of DOC regions as well. So you could probably still get some good wines from there. But if it says Gatanera, you know you're talking about a high-quality nebula wine. Okay, some fun facts there. I already mentioned about the fact that this was uh, the the word nebbia and where it comes from. Uh, it's also a very old grape. At least it's been documented from the 13th century on. Wow. So this grape's been with us for a long, long, long time. Great. It's, um, it, it only comprises about 8% of all the grapes grown in Piedmont. So even in, in, in the Piedmont area, it's, it's, it's not a major grape as far as the quantity that you have, although the quality is way up there. But that still ends up being 92% of all of the vineyards planted in the world. So it's where this is where it originated from. This is where most people expect to get it. All right. Uh, the next one after the 92% there is Mexico. Mexico. Labor. All right. You wouldn't have thought of that, right? 3%. Uh, makes it a very significant producer, and that is the Baja California area. Yeah, I don't uh, think I don't think of wine when I think of Mexico usually. But, well, if you think about the, about the Baja area, it is it, it is was considered uh, years ago, and I th- it, it still is as the Napa of Mexico. Excellent. <clears throat> so yeah, it is. Um, and, and I've sampled a number of wines from there, and in fact, one of them is uh, Witch Creek Winery in Carlsbad, California. Uh, we were staying there, and the Witch Creek Winery is a fun place to go to anyway. And they had sourced some of their grapes from uh, the Baja area, because that's just below where they are. Uh-huh. And uh, so I tried their Nebbiola, and I loved it. And since then, of course, when we've actually stayed in, in Mexico, um, we've uh, sampled a number of the wines from that particular region, and they're, they're really good. Their Chardonnays and their cabs are pretty awesome, actually. So, and... Uh, so it, it's still an area that's undiscovered by a lot of people, right. oh, Un- yeah. unless they've gone there and said, hey, these are pretty good wines. Obviously, I'm included in that group. Yeah. I need to get down to Mexico and taste some of the wine. Absolutely. Taste anyone's wine. Not, don't forget the tequilas and the, and the cerveza, but 
yeah, <laughs> it's all good. Oh, for sure, yeah. And uh, the uh, that this is one of the, the two of the country's premier red wine grapes. Remember, Sangiovese, of course, is much, much to... more prominent there. And the, 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 this one, one of the other things when we were sampling one of the wines from um, Puglia, uh, it, it used the Nero, Norello Mascalese grape. And I was amazed how close that was to a Nebbiola in taste and structure. So that was, that was pretty cool. Okay, and I already mentioned about the fact that it's a very fussy variety to grow. It uh, flowers early, but it ripens late. So that, that means, what that means is it has a broad time, period of time when it's out there when you don't want any bad weather, okay? And so that, that may, that's another bit of the, the challenge, if, if you will. It, uh, it needs good drainage and lots of sun. And as long as you get those things, it works out fine, which is probably why it works nice, nicely in southern New Mexico, right. I would think. Lots of sun out there. Yeah, lots of sun there. Uh, so and, anyway, and, and does does dry usually equal good drainage? Not necessarily. Uh, the, the the thing the, the drainage really is is if you're in a flat area, uh -huh. then you have to really work on the soil to get the drainage where you want. If you're on slopes, the natural slope is going to provide drainage for it. Oh right, okay. Which is why you see a lot of grapes grown on slopes because of the drainage. If you don't get that, you can get a lot of rot, uh, which is not a good thing, and so. That's so. If if you don't have that, then you have to make sure the soil is uh, drains very well. That's too much water, huh? When it oh, runs you, out. You, you know, yeah, you don't want too much water in any case. If you control it from rain, then that is tricky. If you don't have a lot of constant rain, as we don't have here, then the irrigation is what you do to control exactly how much you want. But you don't give it too much uh, rain. It's 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 just like you. You keep some of the, the the water off of the plants. They have to struggle harder. They sink their roots deeper into the soil uh, to try to get the necessary moisture that they want. You make life hard for the grape, in other words. Right. And and when you do that, not too hard, but I'm, if, when you do that, you challenge the grape, and grapes respond to challenge, and uh -huh. they come out with great, wonderful flavors, which is what you're looking for. All right. Okay, a couple of geeky facts for you now. Let's bring I, them on. Bring I, them on. I always have to have one, right? Um, At least one. One of the things that we, we, we mentioned, not so dramatically with this one because it's still pretty young, but uh, what I was mentioning to Eric before was the uh, the grape surprised a lot of people because it's very light in color. Uh, you can see right through it. Um, and uh, so you figure, oh, it's going to be pretty light. <laughs> and, and then you take a sip and you go... Where do all those tannins come from? Right. Oh, it's well, very, very full flavor. In fact, you're making me thirsty. I'm going to have to refill my cup here a little bit. Okay. Well, you go ahead and do do that. And uh, so, but the, the the reason for this is is the the color fades quickly. Uh, the the Nebulous anthocyanins, uh, which are the water soluble pigments you get in the skin, uh, contain very few stable colorants. And it's also more easily oxidized. Uh, so in other words, color and stuff like that is going to make it fade. Pionidin and the cyanidin glyceosides are what responsible for this. I know you wanted to know that. Anyway, it basically means that, that it, when it gets older, which is when you normally drink it, it's going to be a lot paler in color and uh, kind of like a Pinot Noir. So it has that characteristic. And some of the flavors are similar. That's why they're likened together, except... Pinot Noir is pretty light on tannins usually, whereas Nebbiola is really big on tannins. And, of course, that means it's going to have 
it can last a lot longer. So uh, again, 20, 30 years is not unusual for the top quality ones you get in Barolo, Barbaresco areas. All right. And, and others. Okay, so the different areas. Um, the um, Barolo area, again, the, the, what I'm going to do is give you some basic background on, on this, what characteristics are in these areas, where they come from, why, so All you have right. a little bit better idea. So in the Barolo area, that was established as the DOCG in 1980. So it's been uh, known as a leading area for a long time. They are aged at least 18 months in the barrel, 18 months in the barrel, okay? A total of three years aging before release. So, again, the idea is they're knowledgeable about the fact that they need to, to put it in, in the barrel to – what th- this gives – one of the things that you do in a barrel, as you may or may not know, is what, what we call oxidative coupling. It's the fact that you get a slight amount of air going into a barrel. And, in fact, over a period of time, uh, if you have it in a barrel for a couple of years, it's the level is going to go down, what we call the angel's share. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've never seen any drunk angels around, so I'm not sure about that part. But anyway, uh, the angel share. So um, what it's doing is softening the wine. Uh, It's not just the oak influence on it, the Uh various flavors you get from it, but it's also this element. In fact, a lot of people use neutral oak not to get the the coloration so much from the oak as to get its effect to smooth out the wine. So it's, it's, in other words, a lot less tannins. Oh, great. Yeah, I did not know that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's why I thought I would throw it out there just in case. All right. Uh, so the, um, the reserva wines uh, are age a minimum of five years. So, again, a reserve wine in this case means it is definitely going to have more aging on it. It's going to be more approachable, softer tannins, et cetera, which is desirable for most people, unlike you like something where you take a drink and the entire moisture in your side of your mouth disappears all mm-hmm. the way down your esophagus like, ah. I can hardly smile now. That's unless, too much tannin, friends, okay? Right. Unless you're into that kind of thing, right? Yeah, well, if you're <laughs> if you are, I don't want to talk to you about that. Okay. Anyway, um, another term you may see on these is V-I-G-N-A, Vina, which indicates a single vineyard wine. Again, when they say single vineyard, they're usually talking about something even more select, uh, and you're getting areas that in most cases are better than where they source grapes from a lot of different areas, but not always. Uh, so, and again, even between that, there's uh, 11 communes w- within the rural area, and there's two different taste styles based on, not a big surprise, the type of soil. So if it's a it's either limestone or sandstone. So the letter-tasting communes, including La Mora and Barol itself, are limestone-based soils, okay? They're going to have more, a little more mi- minerality, uh, but a little bit lighter tasting. The bolder ones are from the Serolunga d'Alba, Montefaro d'Alba, and the Castiglione Valletto, uh, where it's more weathered sandstone clay soils. And so that is part of what characteristically causes them to be a little bit richer. That's more of what we have around here, right? More sandstone clay? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of clay. Clay soils, as long as it's mixed in, it's fine. If you get a total clay soil, it's not so good. Can't get those, uh, those roots have a hard time getting down through that dry clay, right? Mm-hmm. They do. Mm. I had to try another taste of this wine. Oh, for sure. You know, I'm monitoring how it's com- coming out. Because it's an uh, interesting thing is if you want to learn more about a particular wine and its structure, taste do the first taste like after 10 minutes, write something about 
what you got from the aroma from the palate, and then try it after another 10 minutes or another 15 minutes. And I did that with a Nebula from Vivac, uh, which is up around the Salos area. Uh-huh. And I ended up with four pages of notes at the, after an hour and a half. Oh, great. Little of course, uh, I fi- had to finish the whole bottle to make this thing complete, but hey, it was over a period of time. It was fine. And that was that was a that definitely got me hooked on Vivac Nebulas, which unfortunately they don't do every year. Uh, they were originally sourcing them from the the south, and if if the grapes didn't measure up what they wanted, they couldn't they didn't do it every year. So there was only a couple of years, and they sold out very fast too. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's one the one of the local ones that I did enjoy. The other ones are Luna Rosso, uh, so they have a a, a reserve Nebbiola. Uh, 2016 was the last one, and I'm not sure. If, I haven't. Their website is down, so I haven't had a chance to see if they have a new one out. But that would be good. They also have a thing called the Nini Blend, N-I-N-I. Uh, that includes a, a large portion of that is a Nebula grape. So we actually have places here where you can sample and enjoy that same wine that is so exclusive and and only um, and most of it only in Italy. So I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it is. Not only a little geography, but some uh, some language lessons too. Oh yeah, <laughs> you're doing wonderful, Cam. I, I admire your I admire your linguistic skills. <laughs> well, my French is not quite that good. Uh, I, I know Walter when he was on the show the last time I had a pain look up more than once, <laughs> but oh well, I I try my best. Right. Doing good. <laughs> ah, all right. Uh, the man is going to try some. I was I was hoping that Eddie would join us on this. Good man. And remember, uh, spitting is always an option. It is an option, uh, and in fact, if I'm doing wine tasting as opposed to enjoying wine, I I do uh, spit the wine. Uh, is that the is that the word they use? That's not too crass to say you're spitting your wine. That's right. Okay. That, that is exactly what it is. All right. Now, learning the right proper spitting technique is oh. something else. Oh, okay. Now, we could spend uh, some time on that for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Well, when I, when I first tried it, I had to practice with water. When I tried it with wine, it just sucked right down my throat. I just couldn't spit it. It, just, it wouldn't, it wouldn't I happen. I know the feeling, yeah. <laughs> I've got that problem myself. And, and I mean, I'm serious when I say that, too. But and so I started with, and, and then I finally got to, you know, you swirl the wine around. You want to coat the inside of your, your, your palate so you can really enjoy it, of course, but... Yeah, maybe, maybe we should re- review a little so it was, so Eddie can get his his spitting technique. Oh, he's he doesn't have the he doesn't have the ears on yet. Uh, no, n- not yet. He's he's just enjoying some of the wonderful uh, cheddar cheese we have here. It's the unexpected cheddar of Trader Joe's, of course, and uh, with the Langley Neb- Nebula from the Bana family. Well, I don't want to be a bad influence on him, so uh, trying to remind him that he he's uh, he's allowed to spit. With a with a good technique. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, so yeah, with, with wine tasting, the, the thing is, what you'll end up doing, and I've done that before. Uh, so this is, I'm, I'm saying this from vast experience, is is if you you know you just say, well, this is free wine, I'll just keep drinking this because I'm sampling it. This is great, but then when you when you actually buy the wine, your your uh, facilities are somewhat impaired. And you may select the last wine you tasted because that's the last one you remember. Right. Okay. okay. That's happened. That's happened to me. Uh, so anyway, just be, be careful. Anyway, Barbaresco uh, is the other area, uh, also another DOCG. And it's a, it's a really uh, 
nice wine. I, I, I think I probably prefer them because they are a little more approachable. They aren't aged as long as the Barolos are, but they're also, and, and it's, they're only 10 miles from each other, but so different, the Tarah and the, and the impact on, on the grapes that they have there. So... Now, have you visited both of those areas as well? I, no, I, I have only only in a glass of wine. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I would love to though, because this that would be a every place I was in Italy, I just absolutely loved uh, the Verona area, the Venezia, uh, in, in all of Tuscany that we went to. It was just fabulous. I loved the people, loved the wine, loved the food. Right. Uh, so yeah, it was it, it was always great. So the the thing is because they're the, uh, they're located south of the River Tenero. The Bavresco region gets a slight maritime influence, which allows the Nebbiolo grape to ripen earlier than Barolo and allows the grape to be fermented earlier with a shorter maceration time. So the early tannins in the young uh, Bavresco are not quite as harsh as they are in the Barolo area. So, in fact, they can age for a year less. So, again, it's considered a more approachable wine, as is the Langley for that region. And it, it definitely is. You don't get the same tannic hit with this one. If this one was uh, a, a Barolo that was this this age, uh, Eric, you still would have been trying to get the tannins off your tongue, right? But like, well, okay, what was that? And that's not a desirable quality, huh? No, it really isn't. Uh, even if you really like tannins a lot, and I, I, I do, you really want them to be integrated into the wine uh, so that it's more, it provides the structure that you want okay. and so some of the flavor, but not overpowering everything else. You don't want it all out of balance so that all you're getting is the tannins. You want oh, it. Okay. You want to get the fruit and the tannins, you get the structure, the acidity, all that working together to I make see. a wonderful wine. I see. Okay. So the... Um, uh, again, so this is an Abano Langley 2019 Nebbiolo, 13%, $30 at uh, Total Wine. And um, as, as I mentioned before, I've, I thought I was getting this 2016, but I didn't check the vendors here, so my bad. But it's still a really nice wine, uh, no question about it. And they've been, they, they, they've, uh, on the label itself, let's see, said, uh, Already by the middle of the 1800s, the Abana family had its own roots and cellars in the heart of the village of Barolo. Our history still unfolds today with uh, passion after five generations. So there you go. All right. So they're obviously a well-established family. They've been doing good quality wines for a long time. And I definitely recommend this wine. I think it's really nicely done. All right. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. So, and the, the, the other area that actually I didn't mention here is the Nebbiolo uh, Dalta, uh, and uh, that is, uh, is the Alta region, which also has the Barbera Dalta, uh, but the Nebbiolo there is also uh, highly rated. It's uh, still a DOC, um, but it, uh, I've actually tried one also from Total Wine that was rated 93 points, and it was a really, really good good wine. So... There, if you don't want to pay the higher price for a Barolo or Barbaresco, which is part of what we're giving you some choices here, the Langley area, the Nebbiolo di Alta, are really good alternatives in the same general area. <coughs> Excuse me. So if, if you're heading further north, um, then the the area above that, and it's way above that, is closer to the, uh, the closer to the Swiss border, um, is a cooler area. And uh, there's two little towns there, 
Uh, Gatineri is one. As I said, that's a DOCG. It was established in 1990. And um, it it was a DOC in 67. And, of course, they kept working on the quality of their wines and came out with something really good. So this is it's located in the hills in the north of the province of Vercelli, uh, northwest of Novara in the Piedmont region. That's assuming you actually live there and then you know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, you're just like, well, where is it? it's up there. Right. Anyway, uh, again, primarily made from the Nebbiolo grape. They can have up to 10% of Bonarda di Gattinera, which, as you could imagine, is probably a Bonarda grape locally in Gattinera. There's also a Bonardo grape um, in which is confused with in Argentina, which is a a very big wine that they a, a very big grape they use there, but this is different. Anyway, uh, a lot of them are still done 100% Nebbiola, uh, aged in wooden barrels for two years. So notice again, this one is is getting a long time in oak. Uh, it's three for a reserva with an additional two years aging in the bottle. So they're really giving these, again, a lot of time, even more than the Barolos. And uh, they're also pretty close to the same price. Um, Kevin brought one in the last time that was absolutely unbelievably good. Uh, but again, it's an area where you, you're not going to see as many here. There's not that much made. Uh, there's not that much um, imported. So. It, you'd have to go to probably a special wine shop to, to even find any. But I'd certainly encourage you to go to that wine shop where it is that you like and, and ask them if they could uh, find one for you. Um, then the, the uh, and, and it, it's the local grape there they call Spana, uh, the Nebbiolo grape. And uh, the um, this is a wonderful quote from the Italian wine guide. Previously, the red wines of Gattiner were known as very durable but they were also pure acid bombs. Today, the introduction of malolactic fermentation meant that wine is not so angry, although without it has lost its familiar slightly bitter aftertaste. Acid bombs, out of balance, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, that was part of the reason. Now, uh, malolactic fermentation, that's another thing we could talk about a little bit. Malolactic fermentation, changing malic uh, acids into lactic acid. So malic acid like you have in, in an apple, to a lactic acid like you have in butter. So the thing is, is to actually smooth out the wine. This is typically done with red wine grapes and almost universally done. It's unusual to find an area where they haven't actually gone ahead and and done that. So I said, oh yeah, that could be a good reason why you had a pure acid bomb. So now you get some balance back in there and you get and, and you get the acidity back in balance. That makes a more balanced, uh, better wine, obviously. So. I'm glad they finally decided to do that, and that's probably part of the reason they end up going from DOC to DOCG, because the quality of the wines and their approachability would have been better, right? All right, yeah. Of course. The other one I've seen less of is Rero. Uh, again, this is another DOCG. This is the area um, back in the Barolo Barbaresco. It's right above it, just north of what, it. It's, it's a fairly what, big area. What was that, a Rero? Uh, Rero, R-O-E-R-O. Oh, okay. Rero. Uh, and so that was established in 2004. And, of course, for a long time, people didn't even know about the, the wines from here, but they did work on the quality, as a lot of other areas have. I mean, the quality changes uh, just globally have increased so much because the demand for wine has increased so much. And pe- people want to be part of the market share. They work hard at refining their, their uh, techniques, 
for growing the grapes and making the wine. And people like you are getting the word out, Jim. You're you're educating the masses here. Well, I wish Myself it was the masses, included. but at, at least the masses here in New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, so um, th- this is uh, is another. It's a uh, it's a uh, northwest of Barolo. Against, it's across the Tenero River, and uh, the, a couple of the peninsula, the uh, the municipalities there are Canale, Corneliano d'Alba, and Vesa d'Alba. And uh, these are all, a lot of times you won't see one of those subnames in it unless it's a single vineyard. Then it'll say a single vineyard from Vesa d'Alba or something like that. Uh, classified as a DOC in 85 and 2004 classified as a DOCG. So they, they currently vineyard areas a little bit over 2,000 acres, uh, pay, uh, produce about 543,000 cases. That's you, you calculating on a five-year average. So that's some reason. I, I mean, that's not a lot, really, when, when, when you th- think about it, especially with how much is imported, how much is not. Italy, I think, on average, is 55% drunk locally, 45% exported. All right. So... Uh, the Italians love their wine, and I, 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 I would be right along with them there. In fact, I am. So, um, again, it's uh, the Rero Rosso, as it's called. Again, you've got to be careful. Rosso, of course, is red, Italian for red wine. Uh, so when they say that, as opposed to Nebbiola, then well, what is it? Well, it's gonna, it, if it's from the Rero area, it's going to be a Nebbiola. It has to be 95 to 100%. Um, in, in that, and then they can have up to five percent of other grapes in it maximum. So again, that's part of the regulations for DOC status. That is predominantly going to be that grape, typically a hundred percent. So yeah, it's it's very seldom you'll see them actually blend those in these particular ones. So uh, and mandatory aging period is twenty months, uh, at least six months in wooden barrels. Six months. Notice we went from eighteen twenty to six months. Right. So. Again, because it's not as tannic, the, the grape growing here is not as tannic, uh, they can get by with doing less time in oak. Ah, I see. Okay. Those are just all factors that work into it. Okay. Okay. So that's the um, but, but that, that's the, the main thing to I wanted to cover with, with these areas. Again, you can get the Nebbio uh, Daltas, the... Um, Bar- Barolos and the Barbarescos from Total Wine. Uh, if you're interested in some of the other areas we mentioned, uh, and, and also the the Langley area, they, they have a, a lot in, in uh, I've already tried two or three different wines from there that they have. So all of those are available. The northern ones, I haven't seen those there in a while at Total Wine. So again, if you're curious about those, you probably want to look for your own uh, customized wine shop that might, if you have one that specializes in Italian wines, that would be a good place to go to. And we didn't even mention the uh, Valtellino, which is the area in Lombardy. And I would love to try one of those because they are more Pinot-like, uh, more elegant, less, more, less, you know, less of the tannin. And it would be, I would enjoy trying one of those. So if I find, find one out there, I will We'll try it on the show. Sounds good. And it's all right if we go out and do our own experimenting, right? So it's a good good way to familiarize yourself and maybe uh, just get to know what you like at least, right? That's where I'm at. I know what I like. I know what tastes good to me. And and pretty well, much yeah. I'm not that picky. I, I really, honestly, Jim, I like it all. Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 
I could be like you when I grow up, then I'd, I'd just like it all. Okay. Well, um, what, what I would say is, is if, if you do enjoy wine and you want to enjoy it more, number one, you always want to focus on your palate, what you like, what you don't like. And then besides writing some of that down, write what characteristics you like in a particular wine. That's what I need to start doing. Yeah, right? well, you, you can start your own wine book. And, in fact, you can buy them online anywhere. It says, here's what I got from the color. Here's what I got from the nose. Here's what I got from the palate. Uh, and I'm putting all that together. This is the how I'm rating this wine. And is then, that how you started compounding your knowledge with a book, with a journal? Uh, well, part of it is just drinking a lot of wine. Okay. Uh, that's the, the main thing. And, I can and handle that. Most people have no trouble with that. So, yeah, I think I could do that. Sure. Uh, so it, it's drinking a lot of wine, finding out what you do like and identifying it. But again, you're focusing on those wines. I said, okay, you know, I find I really like these Pinot Noir wines. I, I guess I like them because there's less tannins and and I'd like the flavor profile. So that's something I'll be seeking out. If I get a uh, one that is, is heavily tannic or the flavor profile doesn't work for me, then I know that those aren't ones that I'm really that keen on. So what you're doing is, is you're focusing in on what your palate wants and of course your palate's going to change over time uh -huh. palates don't are not constant things they change over time um i used to like a lot bigger uh, uh big red wines the 16 and a half percents and stuff like that uh -huh. the zins and things like that um and i still like them but i i have backed off somewhat and like some of the ones a lot of the old world wines so i've i've switched from more new world early on in my wine drinking to more old world you, and you you count that with your palate changing, huh? Yeah, and the, your palate changes. It ages like every other part of your body, right? Um, and it can it, it can be things you were tolerant of before you no longer like. Uh, so, and so that that's that's fine. That's just a recognition you make. Okay, I I'm going to back off of those wines I used to like, so I'm selecting ones that I do. Right. And that that way you're always finding a good wine experience, which is what we're pretty much trying to do for you here is give you a good wine experience. Um, and uh, that's really dependent on you and your palate and how you treat it. So what we, we try to do is to give you some insights to try some and you can see, well, I, I guess I don't like the Barolos that much, but I really like the Langley now that right. I've tried both. So I, ho I yeah. have a feeling your budget has a little to do with what you like too. Huh? It does. It it does twenty versus sixty dollars. It's a big difference in 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 the price and jump, uh -huh. and part of that is is not just quality. It's it's also availability. Oh, yeah. uh, so if you're talking about an area like Barolo, they don't produce that much there, and everyone loves those wines, and everyone bids for uh, buying those wines, and so supply and demand, the classic example. So you're going to pay more if everyone else likes the same wines you do. So if you find I've got a really weird uh, palate and I only like uh, whatever weird, weird grape you want, then and no one else likes it. It's like, well, hey, I get all I want out there. Right. <laughs> it's such a deal. OK, one other thing we should probably cover before we, we uh, sign off here. Taos Winter Wine Festival. Ooh, when is that? It's coming up February 3rd to the 6th this year. Oh, great. Um, I, I used I attended it many years ago when it was called the Taste of Taos. One of the local hospitals was. Oh yeah, funny. I remember that. I think yeah. I was living there. For yeah, a while, it, it was really was cool, and and they attracted a lot, of amazing amount of uh, wineries coming in. Um, it's somewhat attenuated now that, from what it used to be, but that's understandable considering you know how much 
how much the global impact uh, everything has had, including on, on wine. But uh, they're still going to have quite a few people there. Uh, and uh, the uh, Champagne and Caviar VIP reception, for instance, is, uh, is on the, the 3rd. Uh, Charles Neal of Charles Neal Selections uh, is going to host opening with four of his boutique producer champagnes served with caviar and blinis from Chef Louis Musco of 315 Restaurant in Santa Fe. That's a good restaurant. Oh, wow. Yeah, have you ever been there? Out. I have not. I've oh, been it's, wanting to try that's, that. That's an outstanding restaurant there. That's going to be at the Sagebrush Inn and Suites from 4 to 5. Tickets are $55. Okay. Tasting, the, the, also, they always have a, a major tasting there. Uh, the Taste of Taos and Reserve Tasting. Uh, 30 great winery partners return to Taos and kick off the weekend with a dozen of Taos best restaurants serving signature tastes alongside reserve wines. Again, at the Sagebrush Inn, silent auction of wine lots for each participating winery highlights and festivities. That's from 5 to 730, $110. Uh, again, you're going to pay a little bit more. Note. Proof of vaccination must be presented at the door or proof of a negative COVID test in the last 48 hours to attend the tasting. Okay. All right. Keep that in mind. Uh, yeah. So you definitely want to keep that in mind. Now, there are two wine seminars uh, s- seminars done there in the Looking Glass Room. And in that case, you have to have proof of full COVID-19 vaccination for attendance. This is uh, per a TSV policy. I'm not sure what that stands for. Negative test is not sufficient to attend in this closed space. I see. All right. So, uh, again, so not everyone's going to be able to enjoy all these just because of some of the restrictions there. And so you need to be aware of that before you go. Um, and it's not cheap, it's, it's, uh, but it's, uh, the, it's always phenomenal. The restaurants and tiles um, are excellent. I've gone to a lot of them. They're really wonderful. So... Everyone's going to have a, a great experience there, but just be aware uh, that that you'll have to go and and if you don't are fully vaccinated, you'll have to get your uh, COVID test in advance of it. So All we want right. to give you some extra time for that because it's coming up pretty soon. All right, Jim. Thanks a lot. It's good to have you back in the Kiva. Hope everybody had a good time, sampled some wine, and learned something new about a uh, about. A, about our wines in New Mexico and wines from all over the world here in the Kiva with the Spirits of New Mexico on 1600 AM KIVA, also on rockoftalk.chat and abq.fm. Thank you for listening. Have a good Saturday night, everybody. Cheers. Good to be drinking wine with you again, my friend. <laughs>